最佳听众互动奖得奖的是 First Story 等等，还有一位是 First Story 和 Discord 共同得奖。First Story 最新推出的 Discord 整合功能是为听众管理新标杆，将拥有会员资格的听众自动加入 Discord 群组。这不仅减少创作者的负担，也为听众带来丰富的互动体验，获得全台 Podcaster 一致肯定。体验这个惊人的功能，立刻点击叙述栏链接，让你与听众互动更上层楼。China has had two near collisions with the U.S. military in the past two weeks. On May 26, a Chinese fighter jet buzzed a U.S. reconnaissance over the South China Sea, and on Saturday, a Chinese destroyer nearly collided with a U.S. destroyer in the Taiwan Strait. However, despite the increasingly aggressive behavior by the Chinese military, one former U.S. national security adviser said the U.S. would only be more resolute in its determination to exercise freedom of navigation. However, questioned on the maneuvers, the Chinese defense minister was defiant. His comments were met with strong criticism from one Taiwanese general. Over the weekend, U.S. destroyer the USS Chenghun and Canadian warship the HMCS Montreal were transiting the Taiwan Strait when a Chinese destroyer came within close range of the U.S. vessel. As the camera turns toward the USS Chenghun, the Chinese destroyer can be seen passing in front of it at high speed. At one point, the two vessels are less than 137 meters from each other. A reporter aboard the Canadian vessel captured the moment on camera. We've just completed an 18-hour journey of the Taiwan Strait here on HMCS Montreal, and we were joined by an American destroyer that had a close encounter with a Chinese warship. When you're in big warships uh, maneuvering close to each other, 150 yards uh, is is very scary, uh, and you you don't ever want to be that close to another vessel because too many things can go wrong, and you can actually have a collision. This is only the latest of such dangerous maneuvers by the Chinese military. On May 26, a Boeing RC-135 performing reconnaissance over the South China Sea was forced to take evasive maneuvers when a Chinese J-16 fighter jet flew dangerously close in front of it. In typical fashion, Chinese Defense Minister Li Shangfu deflected blame for the close intercept. The best way to do things, in our own words, is to look after your own warships and look after your own fighter jets. Former U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton said that in the face of commotion from China, the U.S. would be even more resolute in defending freedom of navigation. What this requires is the kind of strategic response that shows that the United States, whether it's in the Taiwan Strait or the South China Sea or anywhere else, is simply not going to give up、uh, its rights to transit the straits, to、uh, have innocent passage、uh, for its、uh, naval vessels, and to show to China their assertion of sovereignty over any part、uh, of China of the world that we don't recognize already as China. Something we're simply not going to accept. This type of reckless behavior might cause two warships to be shipwrecked. This is deplorable behavior. The U.S. says this behavior violates security protocols. China seriously impacts navigational safety. And what does it say? Go and deal with your own ships. This isn't called being dangerous. This is called lacking basic respect for others. Through increasingly aggressive behavior, China risks causing unintended conflict. However, despite reckless behavior by the Chinese military, the U.S. is unlikely to be deterred from exercising freedom of navigation anytime soon. 
Tensions continue rising in the Taiwan Strait. Reports say Taiwanese and Japanese officials met in May to secretly discuss 40 crisis scenarios in the Taiwan Strait and responses to those scenarios. Meanwhile, the U.S. is rumored to be helping Taiwan plan its upcoming Hanguang exercises to be held in July. And both countries are also working on sharing surveillance data related to China's coastal military facilities. One defense researcher says that the defense of Taiwan's key airports and harbors will be an important focus of the exercises in July. Japan has reportedly grown concerned about the situation in the Taiwan Strait. Reports say that in May, officials from Japan's self-defense forces and its trade, defense and foreign ministries visited Taipei to meet with Taiwanese officials for talks on joint strategy. A video conference was also reportedly held with defense officials in Japan to conduct simulations of 40 different crisis scenarios leading up to, but not including, war in the Taiwan Strait. The scope of the talks would have been the largest to date between defense officials from the two countries. However, Taiwan's defense ministry denies the reports. Current Taiwan-Japan cooperation in the areas of diplomacy, military affairs, the economy and trade is closer than it's ever been. It centers on this idea that former Japanese Prime Minister Abe Shinzo brought up, which is that a problem in the Taiwan Strait is a problem for Japan. Japan has taken this direction in handling issues surrounding the Taiwan Strait, as well as those involving neighboring countries. It is considering scenarios involving politics, the economy and the military. Aside from talks with Japan, Taiwan is also gearing up for the 39th Hanguang exercises, which will be held in July. The exercises this time will simulate a Chinese landing at Wei Beach in Taoyuan, followed by a Chinese takeover of Taoyuan International Airport, after which Taiwan's military would retake the airport. The U.S. is rumored to be advising Taiwan on the exercises, but Taiwan's defense ministry has denied this. There has been speculation that the U.S. is concerned about the exercises, but this is not true. For landing forces, the airport can be used to quickly unload support troops and materials. For the attackers, it means coming from the rear, to come from a deep position and carry out a landing to take key strategic sites. Protecting Taipei Harbor and the Taoyuan Airport is of key significance. Aside from its preparations for the Hanguang exercises, Taiwan is working with the U.S. to share information on Chinese warships and military aircraft along its coast. A map of this information is expected to be complete by 2025 and will incorporate Japanese intelligence. It is expected that the information will help Taiwan, Japan and the U.S. to conduct better surveillance of China's military. Over in Japan, the Taiwan People's Party presidential candidate Ke Wenzhe on Monday had a busy day. He met with 13 pro-Taiwan lawmakers, close with former Prime Minister Abe Shinzo, as well as members of a parliamentary group with Taiwan. During the meeting, Ke expressed that he hoped Japan would help Taiwan with its bid to join the CPTPP trade bloc. Besides the lawmakers, Ke also met with former Prime Minister Noda Yoshihiko. They want to phase out nuclear energy by 2030, but there are still some practical matters. The matter of rules on food products from places affected by the Fukushima nuclear disaster should be handled following global standards. Japanese people can eat those products, and the Japanese government deems them safe to eat. So there's no reason that they can't be exported and eaten in Taiwan, too. Mr. Ko Wenzhe is someone who can lead people. We've not met for long, but I can sense that. 
In the morning, Ke had given a talk at Waseda University. A Chinese student in the audience later asked him about his previous comments that both sides of the strait were one family and if that remained part of his cross-strait policy. Ke replied that he would rather see good family relations than bad family relations, adding that engaging with each other was better than cutting off contact. Taiwan's borders are open and international travel is booming. One industry that's benefiting is rather niche. It's suitcase repair. You probably didn't spare a thought for the suitcase gathering dust in your cupboard through the pandemic. Almost nobody did. Repair experts who specializes in cases struggle to keep their businesses afloat. Now that everyone wants to go abroad, they have the opposite problem. We went to Taizong to meet one such business. They have hundreds of cases piling up in the workshop and can hardly get through them fast enough. This suitcase makes a strange rumbling noise when it's pulled along. There's something wrong with the wheels. If you don't want to buy a new case, you can simply get it fixed. The repairman taps away at the wheels to make sure they will turn smoothly. A broken zipper is a big job. For that, he'll need a specially manufactured sewing machine. This is a small suitcase repair shop. Its floor space fits just two workers. Owner Du Yizong says that demand has soared since Taiwan's borders reopened. All these suitcases piled up at the door are waiting for a bit of TLC. Everyone waits until they're about to go abroad, and then they all get out the suitcases all at once. Now it's the time, and there's lots of things. The handles, the wheels have oxidized. It all needs replacing. Now the customers are flooding through the door. They take 1,000 cases a month. Du says that the top spots that usually need repair on his suitcase are the wheels, followed by the handles, and then zippers. I brought the suitcase back from Hong Kong. I love it. You can't buy the same model anymore. I think the wheel can be replaced. We can be eco-friendly and just replace the wheel. It's more economic to get it repaired, but it's not brand new. But you have a relationship with the case, you don't want to let it go. Business was thin during the pandemic, says Du, as nobody could travel abroad. He had to borrow money to pay his employees' salaries. But they pulled through those three tough years, and now there's almost more work than they can keep up with. The Taiwan Climate Institute on Monday held a plaque unveiling ceremony attended by big names in the tech industry as well as government officials. The institute is set to organize training courses to promote sustainable, sustainable development and fight climate change, as well as help companies reduce their carbon footprint. At the event, government representatives called for further collaboration with the private sector to work toward achieving net zero emissions by 2050. Hello, oh, seven, two, to mark World Environment Day, the Taiwan Climate Institute held a plaque unveiling ceremony on Monday. The event was attended by government officials, including Vice President Lai Qingde, as well as big names in tech. Lai called for more cooperation between the government and the private sector to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2050. If there are any problems on the front lines, let the government know so that we can all band together to face challenges. Taiwan Climate Partnership members include Delta, TSMC, Acer, Asus, AUO, LightOn, and Microsoft Taiwan. By 2030, the government is set to provide a budget of 900 billion NT to help with the transition toward reduced carbon emissions. 
The Taiwan Climate Institute will bring together industry experts and scholars from National Tsinghua University, National Taiwan Normal University, and Chenggong University to design training courses and cultivate talent. It has already become a hard target. Our clients want us to reduce carbon emissions in production, and they want low-carbon footprint products, or even carbon neutrality. And they all want it sooner and sooner. So although the partnership's goal is to achieve this by 2050, our clients want us to transition by sometime between 2030 and 2035. It really is a matter of great urgency. Pegatron chairman Tong Zixian added that the automotive industry's transition from combustible fuel to electricity was a reflection of the power of the green economy. He said that the only way for firms to be competitive internationally was by reducing carbon emissions. Relying too much on natural gas would cause Thai Power and CPC to lose about 500 billion NT or 600 billion NT a year. Compare it with the national health insurance system's annual losses of 30 billion NT, which already gives rise to non-stop complaints. If you don't collect data on these things, how can you know how much to reduce emissions by? AI models can figure out your electricity consumption patterns. So that lets you predict and see what expected values you would have over the course of a year. That can be used for a country as much as a factory. Delta Electronics chairman Yancy Hai, who currently chairs the Taiwan Climate Partnership, says sensors, artificial intelligence, and big data analytics can be harnessed to help Thai Power's smart grid and firms in the sector know how to kick off their journey to lower carbon emissions. The mother of one high school graduate with cerebral palsy went the extra mile to ensure her son graduated. Mother Lin Yuexiang attended classes with her son He Yanbao for three years, taking notes for him in every class. Her efforts didn't escape Chenggong High School, which made her an honorary graduate. Lin's effort paid off, as did the hard work of her son, who was expecting to study law at Taiwan's top university. His mother attended classes for three years and took notes for those three years, so today I wanted to give her an honorary graduation diploma. Moved by the principal's words, Lin Yuexiang holds her hands up to her face as she fights back tears. Lin attended classes for three years with her son He Yanbao, who has cerebral palsy. For her efforts, she was recognized as Changgong High School's first female graduate. The school presented Lin with her own school uniform. On it, the words Chenggong mother and a school ID are embroidered. I am very touched because the principal is so warm-hearted. The school permitted me to go there and help my child, and this was quite a big help for us. Otherwise, we couldn't have done this. He has had cerebral palsy since he was very young, which has impacted his speech, movement, and cognitive functions. Despite the difficulties, He attended school and pursued his education, and was awarded the President's Education Award for his hard work. To help him along the way, He's mother has attended classes with him since he was in grade 4, taking notes for him all the way up until the end of high school. These past three years, every day that Yan Bao has been at school, his mother has come in with him. She's attended classes to help him. We wanted to give Lin a small surprise to let her know that the school has very much noticed her hard work and diligence. He had nearly perfect attendance throughout his three years in high school, only missing classes for medical treatment. 
Recently, he took the college entrance exams for students with disabilities and placed second nationwide for students with cerebral palsy. He is expected to be admitted to the law department at National Taiwan University. Japanese runner and Taiwan lover Shimizu Naoki is close to finishing his latest work of GPS art in the country. The athlete is running all around the island in 24 days, keeping track of his path on a GPS to draw the letter O on the map. It's the second letter in a series of runs to spell out the word love. The other three letters, L, V, and E, were, were drawn with three runs in several Japanese cities. The runner on Monday reached Hualien City on his 19th day, forming the letter O. He was received with a warm welcome by the mayor of the city. It is very different from last time when I went around the island on a bicycle. I'm running this time, so I've met many friends who've kept me company running alongside me or riding with me. I'm very touched. I went around Taiwan before and I thought the path looked a lot like an O. We wanted to highlight the good ties between Taiwan and Japan with this event. We hope more people will take part in artistic events like these in the future. And it's not Shimizu's first piece of GPS art in Taiwan. Five years ago, he wrote the message, Japan loves Taiwan, while running in Taipei to thank Taiwan for the help it lent Japan in the aftermath of the 2011 Tohoku earthquake. One day later, he wrote a message of support for Hualien in the city to offer some encouragement in the wake of the deadly 2018 earthquake. A special gym has been built out of recycled equipment at a community in Taizong, Dadu District. Cleaning team collected unwanted equipment to repurpose the outdoor gym. Now, every time they take a break from work, they get to relax with a bit of exercise. Some of the equipment has also been converted into a power plant. So as you pedal a bicycle, you can charge up your phone or power a fan. Time for a break. Everyone gets exercising on a bike, treadmill, elliptical, or spin bike. This equipment has all been recycled by the district team. It recycles, reuses resources, and reduces waste. And we can exercise after work, so it kills two birds with one stone. This is not a standard gym. These ropes have been recycled and transformed into battle ropes for high-intensity training. It feels basically the same as a gym, because I go to the gym and learn there how to work out, and I use the battle ropes. A small generator is attached to the back wheel of the bike, powering an electric fan when you pedal. This recycled electric bike has been converted into an eco-friendly exercise bike using an electric rototom. The faster you pedal, the more power you generate, and the brighter this LED shines. It can even charge up a smartphone. We can use the power of exercise to generate electricity. So that's why we thought of using the pedaling on the bike and making a few small structural changes to provide this special combination of exercise and electricity generation. Discarded equipment has become treasure here, with a bit of ingenuity from the local cleaning team, who get to enjoy a great workout every time they take a break from work. Many people dream of buying a plot of land to retire to and tending their own little bit of paradise. Today, we meet a former business owner who did just that. After retiring, Jiang Qingzong bought some land in rural Xinzhou to begin a tea plantation. His oriental beauty has won many awards. He also grows organic veggies that can be eaten straight from the field. 
Jiang Qingzhong steps through the tea field, pulling up weeds and picking flowers. A few steps away, it's the vegetable garden, with more than 20 types of vegetables growing. He picks a stalk of celery and starts eating it straight from the ground. He doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides here, so he does need to pick insects off by hand. The 40-hectare farm is all tended by hand by the owner. Our tea plantation here has been certified organic, so we can't spray pesticides. If there are insects, we pick them off. Jiang stoops to remove pests from the crops. You might never guess that he used to own a massage clinic in Taipei. After retirement, he moved here to the mountains of Beipu and spent hundreds of millions in savings on this plot of land. Here, at this very own farm, he grows oriental beauty oolong tea. My days used to be so jam-packed with things to do. After we got our plot in Beipu, the pace of life slowed down and we've gotten healthier in terms of mind, body and spirit. Over the last few years, friends have often seen me and said, Wow, Jiang, how come you never age? Jiang has learned a lot from growing tea. His oriental beauty won the top prize in the Xinzhou County Tea Contest, as well as a three-star award at a competition in Belgium. I was a consultant for the Council of Agriculture about 20 years ago. I think Taiwanese tea is the jewel of this land. There are so many competitions, one after the other, and Taiwanese oriental beauty Oolong won the ITQI contest in Belgium, taking home its highest award. Who would imagine the boss of a major metropolitan massage clinic would pack in the city life to go and found an organic farm? Jiang says the countryside has let him slow down and start a new, gentler chapter of his life. An annual round island motorbike trip organized by the Hongdao Senior Citizens Welfare Foundation is now in its 12th year. This year, 32 riders made the 10-day, 1,106-kilometer trip that circles the island, starting and finishing in Taichung. The oldest rider to take the trip was 99-year-old Guo Shenzhen, who has done the trip four times since 2019. Guo said he also plans to take part next year after his 100th birthday. Let's hear from him and his fellow riders. Next year, when I'm 100, I want to join the ride again. This is my wish. Four or five years ago, I said, when I'm 100, I must ride around the island. I realized there are many things I want to do. The first thing I want to do is to circle the island. Fortunately, the foundation organized this event, and I was able to register. The way the workers and volunteers at Hongdao take care of us puts us at ease. I'm sure I'll finish this trip. Lu, who is 76, registered for the trip after beating cancer. He is determined to live without regret. Lai, 69, overcame mobility issues with her right leg, finishing the Round Island trip on a three-wheel scooter. During the trip, the riders volunteered in different communities, preparing and delivering meals and joining donation drives to raise funds for disadvantaged older adults. Now we take a look at the many ways Taiwan's farmers associations have branched out in recent years. Making a profit from farming can be tough, and farmers are constantly looking for new business opportunities. 
One of the latest innovations is the vegetable powder drink from Taoyuan that promises to become a popular fiber supplement. Other regions are focusing on soy milk, ice cream, and even some services that I bet you can't guess. Let's take a tour of rural Taiwan to see more. Lettuce is sorted by hand, then crushed by a machine and ground to a fine powder. Taiwan's first vegetable pulverization factory opened last year. Here, local organic vegetables are turned into powder by Taoyuan Farmers Association. The powder makes nutritional high-fiber drink. We wanted to diversify and enrich our agricultural products. Firstly, it helps our farmers. We contact them to plant larger areas of organic vegetables. Farmers associations work hard to produce local specialty products, and diversifying services is also a big trend. In just six months, Taoyuan Farmers Association has earned 1.3 million NT from its organic vegetable powder. By comparison, Hualien's Ji'an Farmers Association makes 23 million NT a year from ice cream. Meanwhile, in Yilan's Luodong Township, the Golden Goose is soy milk. They sell 7 million bottles of the stuff a year, bringing in almost 80 million NT, two-thirds of their annual turnover. We used to produce it with soybeans bought to aid the U.S. We produce more than 7 million bottles a year, which is worth about 79 million NT. Many farmers' associations are developing new products to market their crops. Taidong's famous for its delicious summer snow mango and roselle products. But customers often don't realise the association offers other services as well. On their official website, this funeral services page makes it clear that it's not just for farmers. We managed more than 230 funerals last year. All of them came about spontaneously. We didn't set a goal for this service. Farmers across Taiwan are branching out. Some are making a big name for themselves, while others are quietly carving out a new niche. They're finding ways to make farming pay, but also making rural life more sustainable for all who live and work in Taiwan's beautiful countryside. And now for all of you out there with a sweet tooth. Today we take you to a specialty chocolate store that sells Lithuanian chocolates. Many chocolate makers from this Baltic state use traditional techniques and recipes passed down through generations. This ensures each treat is crafted with care and precision. Six years ago, Ivan Huang tried Lithuanian chocolate and loved it so much that he decided to open his own store in Taipei. He's selling a Lithuanian chocolate brand with a 110-year-old history. Our reporter Stephanie Yang shows us why these chocolates are so tasty. This is one of their bestsellers, Inca berry and blueberries coated with white chocolate. It's crunchy, sweet, and sour at the same time. There are three layers. The outer layer is blueberry, the middle layer is white chocolate, and lastly, Inca berry. This one has been super, super popular in our store. Customers coming to our shop, they like this because they, they mention the smell is so unique, so they, they make them want to test more. So this one, it has, is using the berries from Lithuania. Also, uh, it's coated with ho- quality white chocolate, and they also add blueberries to cover this white chocolate. So it's so unique. 
Besides Inca berries and blueberries coated with white chocolate, there are also freeze-dried strawberries and freeze-dried blueberries coated with white chocolate and dark chocolate. There's also Lithuanian chocolate with cherries and more. Patrons can choose and customize their chocolate flavors according to their preferences. My child likes it. He likes colorful chocolates, so I searched online. The reviews are great, so I came here to check it out. I have never been to Lithuania. Because Lithuania is the land of berries, so you can find many different berries in our dark chocolate, white chocolate, and also milk chocolate. Because in Taiwan, customers are like also like um, strawberries. So our number one will be the strawberry, and followed by the cherry in dark chocolate, and also cranberry in dark chocolate. Huang is the founder of this Lithuanian chocolate store in Taipei. Prior to operating the store, Huang worked in the finance industry as a project manager. Six years ago, he decided to start his own business. He started off with a business where he imported British tea to Taiwan. When he was in the process of searching for dessert to go with the tea, he tried a strawberry dark chocolate from a Lithuanian chocolate family business over a century old. He loved it so much that he decided to open a branch selling this old Lithuanian chocolate brand in Taipei. And we, we found it's necessary to find a, a finger food coming well with tea. So let's change six years ago that uh, Tai Chuan organized a meeting with with suppliers from Europe. And in that meeting, we met Loretta, and he brought this to me. And I tried the chocolate, this strawberry and dark chocolate, and it's so tasty. So at that moment, we decided to work with them. So we, start, we started uh, doing business with them six years ago. Huang says opening up a Lithuanian chocolate store in Taiwan was not an easy feat. Due to the fact that many Taiwanese weren't that familiar with Lithuania, business was slow in the first few years. It was not until 2021 when the Lithuanian government donated vaccines to Taiwan that business started booming. Uh, I think it's two years ago. Lithuania government they donated the vaccine to Taiwan. It gave it gave us a chance to to properly introduce this brand and also this quality chocolate to the market. We received a lot of orders from customers and also each order bring a warm message like uh, thank you Lithuania. To celebrate the deepening relations between Taiwan and Lithuania, the company even created a limited edition dark chocolate exclusively for patrons in Taiwan. To celebrate that, that the two nations have been super close. So, and the, the connection, the relation between these two nations is, is, is worn up. So that's why we decided to, to do something different. Huang says his goal this year is to bring in more chocolate gift boxes from Lithuania. He hopes that everyone can get a taste of Lithuania in Taiwan and learn about its culture. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Lu Bo Tong in Taipei.